live from Liverpool, the dark paranormal, season four. Hi everyone and welcome back to the dark paranormal. It's unbelievable to say that we're already at the penultimate episode of season four, which can only mean one thing, and that's we're rapidly approaching season five. Now, of course, season five, we will revert back to true listener paranormal experiences. So, if you've been listening to season four and thinking you'd like to send your story in, then please do, too. The Dark Paranormal at Hotmail. For today's true paranormal experience, we're going to take a look at something that was suggested by one of our listeners, and it's one of the most heavily documented and researched paranormal incidents in the last 200 years, and I'm exceptionally excited to deliver it to you in the style of the dark paranormal. But before we do that, I need to say a big thank you to everyone who supports us on Patreon. When you support the show on Patreon, Not only do you get these episodes earlier than anyone else, you also receive a Patreon-only show, Dark Bites, each and every week, even in the downtime between seasons. And of course, as we have a break between Season 4 and Season 5 coming up very shortly, it means you don't have to miss your Dark Paranormal fix. And I'm also excited to announce there's a new way to access that Patreon feed and indeed communicate with myself and the show. And that's by downloading the new podcast app, Repod. Repod acts not only as an app to listen to podcasts through, but it also allows you to communicate with the hosts of those shows, just like The Dark Paranormal. So download Repod and search for The Dark Paranormal. And whilst you do that, I'll give a shout out to the newest faces over on The Dark Paranormal Patreon. We have Sarah Miller. Caitlin Calhoun, Dean Mullen, Casey Lang, Courtney Goodrich, Thomas Fries, Dimitrios M, John LaBarbera, Adam of Dorset, Irish Wristwatch, and Adriana Waldhouse. Thank you guys, it's great to have you on board. If you wish to sign up, head over to patreon.com forward slash the dark paranormal. And now, there are some paranormal experiences which seem almost sewn in the fabric of Americana. The topic we're going to look at today is just one of those experiences. There are very few paranormal cases which have had so much research done, so many theories attached, and even fewer, which include a future American president. But this case has all of those things and a shed load more. So, make yourself comfy lower the lights, and join me as we take a look at the Bell Witch. The doctor of Red River, Tennessee, held the old woman's wrist and checked his pocket watch. It didn't look good. The good doctor respectfully stood and half bowed. He opened his case and packed away his notebook and pocket watch. Doctor... The old bedridden woman croaked. Doctor, please send in my maid. Of course, muttered the doctor, and headed out into the hallway where the maid was waiting. The lady wishes to speak to you, he said, 
and bowed his head. As the maid nodded back and walked past, he touched their elbow, gaining her attention once more. She stopped. Yes? Be brief, said the doctor. The lady is not long for this world. The maid nodded mournfully and continued into the room. In the dimly lit room, the old woman almost blended in with the off-white sheets. Such was the paleness of her face. The maid knelt at the side of the bed and reached out for her mistress's hand. She knew her mistress was in the last few minutes of her life. And, although she felt awful for thinking such things, she couldn't help but wonder if this requested last-minute meeting might be news of some impending windfall. Perhaps she was going to leave it all to her ever-doting maid. Listen to me closely, said the old lady, gripping the maid's hands with each individual word. The maid leant in closer to the dying woman. John Bell is a cheat, a no-good and foul man, and by my death I will make his life a living hell. And with that, Kate Batts closed her eyes, she took a deep breath, and died. John Bell stood on his doorstep and looked around him. He took a deep breath and smiled. Ever since moving from North Carolina to Red River, Tennessee, his fortunes had increased more than he could have ever hoped. What had started as a humble home and an anxious arrival had now flourished, largely thanks to the widow Betts, into over 300 acres of land and him being classed as one of the most important men in town. John began his walk through his newly acquired fields, inspecting the work that had been done to prepare for the planting of crops. This new venture could see a doubling of his wealth over the next few years, if he put the work in, and if the weather was on his side. Continuing across the field, he walked aside the already established field of corn which marked the far-end border of the property. He looked back towards his house. Again, he smiled. This was all he ever wanted. A place for his family to... Something caught his eye. Two black-pointed ears seemed to raise above the corn, just a few metres away from him. Reaching for his rifle, he slowly walked towards what he assumed was a wild animal of some sort. The ears didn't move, even though his feet inadvertently crunched some stalks due to an uneven sod of earth. A bit took aback at the brazenness of this animal, he felt the hairs on his arms stand up. Step by step, the animal came into view, and it was staring at him. Apparently unmoved by his appearance, or the drawn rifle. John Bell was unsure just what he was looking back at, as sat, perfectly upright, in a flattened circle of its own making, was an obsidian black chimera. Something with what appeared to be the body of a dog and the head of a large rabbit. One thing John Bell did know 
was it wasn't going to be here much longer. And he brought the rifle up to his eye. The thing's expression did not change. It just intensely continued to stare back into the eyes of John Bell. And John Bell pulled the trigger. The smoke cleared. But instead of a body, there was just an empty circle. His obsidian black target had disappeared into thin air. Be sure to eat all of this up now, said Lucy Bell, John's wife as she ladled out the stew into the children's bowls. Betsy Bell, the daughter of the Bell family, idly spooned some of the murky-looking liquid around the bowl. John nudged her and pulled her this-is-disgusting face behind Lucy's back. Betsy giggled at her father's antics. Lucy, guessing her meal had been the subject of some mockery, was about to challenge the two culprits when... A hammering sound was heard on the side wall of the house. A deep thumping sound which resonated off the other walls and caused the hung pots to vibrate. John Bell rose from his chair at the table. What on earth? He began, throwing down his napkin and charging outside joined quickly after by his teenage sons. Together, they scoured the outside area, only to find nothing unusual or out of place, let alone some wall-thumping vandal. Slowly, they returned inside to their meal. However, not long after they'd sat down, again the male group of the Bell family ran outside to confront the guilty party, only to once more be left bewildered by the silence and the lack of a felon. The hammering on the wall would increase night on night, varying in the times it plagued the family. Sometimes at dinner, sometimes in the early hours of the morning, once even at breakfast. But each time the anxiety and fear that spread through the Bell family was palpable. One evening, Betsy and her siblings had retired to bed for the night. Doing her utmost to fall asleep, as she was no fan of the darkness... Betsy tried to count sheep in order to hypnotise herself and dampen her thoughts. One, two, three. She paused. It sounded as if mice, or worse, rats, were chewing at the bottom right wooden bedpost of the bed. Too scared to shout, she lifted her knees to her chest and pulled her blanket in around her. The sound grew louder still. She should shout for help, she thought, but she didn't want to bring the rat's attention to her. Her logic long gone, she could only imagine them feasting on her as she lay in bed. No, no, what to do? What should I... Suddenly the blanket she was wrapped in so securely around her knees and shoulders was yanked from her by unseen hands. The rough wool garment rolled into a ball and thrown into the corner of the room. Clearly, for Betsy's subconscious, this was the final straw, as she let out an involuntary shriek. John and Lucy burst into the children's room, much to the surprise of the sleeping children who all woke with a start. With the entire family in one room, and all in a state of shock, John Bell raised his finger to his lips. For a few moments, all that could be heard was the panicked breathing of his children and wife. 
But then, from somewhere, seemingly within the house, the faint sound of an old woman's voice singing what sounded like hymns. The voice seemed to be coming from an indistinct location, far away, but still close enough to believe they could have been in the next room. The family listened intently, and then it stopped. The sound of a pack of birds filled the room, all apparently trapped and buffering their wings against the ceiling. However, glancing around, the room was empty, apart from the tired, terrified Bell family. The faint female voice would become a constant fixture of an evening. However, this paled in comparison to what would take place next. One morning, Betsy was busy brushing her teeth in the bathroom when she got the feeling she was being watched. She stopped what she was doing and she slowly turned around and nothing was there. Convincing herself it was all in her head, she turned back and continued brushing. And then, something violently pulled her hair from behind dragging her head back with such force she feared her neck would break. Over a period of some minutes, she was thrown about by something which couldn't be seen. She was pinched, punched, slapped and kicked, all by somebody who wasn't there. Staggering out of the bathroom, a battered and bruised Betsy collapsed into her father's arms. They'll think we're mad, said Lucy Bell tapping her fingers on the kitchen table. Well, they can think whatever they want, replied John Bell. I shan't stand by and allow our own flesh and blood to be dealt with in such a way. And standing to his feet, John Bell headed next door to explain the situation to his neighbour and good friend, James Johnston. James's wife poured the two men a hot drink. You're going to have to repeat that, Johnny boy, said James Johnston doing a not very good job of hiding his smile. Johnston was a religious man, and although not adverse to a belief in the supernatural, he found the whole story of John Bell, well, a little too fantastical. Not to be laughed off, John Bell made an offer for Johnston and his wife to spend the night with the Bell family, and therefore see firsthand just what they were up against. Johnston agreed, and that next night, both he and his wife would experience the entity close up and personal. I think they've all just got too much going on, whispered Mrs Johnston as she removed her earrings in the guest bedroom. You're probably right, my love, replied Johnston. Ghosts can't be in a religious home, and John Bell is one of the most pious men I know, mused Johnson as he pulled the bedclothes back and climbed into bed. Blowing out the candle, Mrs. Johnson joined her husband in bed. They had their own troubles to be concerned with. Their daughter was due to marry the local. Johnson and his wife sat up in bed, just in time to catch their bedsheet being flung into the corner of the room. Johnson turned to address his wife. Darling, we need to... Johnson was slapped hard across the face, knocking him out of bed into the floor. Johnson jumped to his feet... In God's name, you tell me who you are and what you want, he demanded, but the spirit remained silent. Faintly, elsewhere in the house, 
Johnson heard the sound of an old woman's voice singing. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. The next morning, a clearly disheveled Johnson pulled John Bell to one side. John Bell, he began. Whatever is in this house is evil. I mean old evil. The type of evil spirit you read of in the Bible. I don't know how to help you. He gathered his belongings and ushered his wife out of the Bell residence. John Bell had reached the end of his patience. First his family was under siege, and now his friends, and arguably his standing in the community was now under attack. Throwing a chair across the room, he shouted, Who are you and what the hell do you want? It was meant almost rhetorically. Therefore, you can imagine the fear that befell John and his wife when the spirit spoke. I am a spirit. I was once happy and I've been disturbed. The temperature dropped instantly in the room. So much so, John could see his breath in front of his face. What do you want with us? He muttered meekly. But there came no response. Only a rising of the temperature to signify the spirit was no longer present. John Bell Jr., the eldest son, was fascinated to find that the spirit had communicated with the family, and so tried each and every night to go the spirit into conversation, something it appeared the spirit was only happy to oblige with, with John Jr. at least. Whereas his sister Betsy continued to be tormented at night, being pinched and slapped around as she tried to sleep, the spirit seemed to treat both John's wife Lucy and John Jr. with a level of respect. And therefore, she began holding long, drawn-out conversations with the boy. Skeptical that someone was playing a prank on him, John Jr. decided to ask a question that no one outside of the family would have known and asked the spirit to answer the following question. What would our grandmother say if she thought our slaves had done something wrong? After a brief period of silence, the old Dutch grandmother's accent sounded from the walls. Hut, hut, what's happened now? John Jr. froze. It was as if the spirit had brought forth the grandmother from the dead and got her to answer the question herself. The spirit's voice then returned. Do you believe me now, child? The boy nodded. Good. Then hear me now. Old Jack is good for nothing. I will kill him before the year is out. Old Jack, it turns out, was the spirit's nickname for John Bell Sr., Betsy continued to be plagued by the spirit. 
So much so, her mother decided she should stay with friends whilst all this played out. So she stayed at her friend, Thenny's house. The first night she stayed there, there was a knock on the bedroom door. Both girls had their back to the door and were too scared to turn around. They then heard the door fly open and wind gust into the room. However, when they turned around, the door was still shut. The temperature lowered in the room and both girls began to breathe quicker. Suddenly, the old woman's voice came from the walls. Betsy, you shouldn't have come over here. You know I can follow you anywhere. Now, I'll allow you to get a good night's sleep. Betsy felt a hand pat her on the cheek and she winced expecting a slap, which never came. News of the evil spirit who was now being referred to as a witch spread far and wide, and the Bell family name was on the lips of most people of that time. None more so interesting than future president Andrew Jackson. John Bell had served with General Jackson along with his brothers at the Battle of New Orleans, and when he heard about the Bell family witch, Jackson, who also lived in Red River at the time, decided he would take a group of men out to experience the witch for himself. As Jackson's wagon approached the Bell Farm's threshold, it appeared that the front wheels had become stuck fast in the mud. Getting down from his horse to investigate, however, Jackson found no mud. The wheels themselves were just frozen solid, refusing to move. The horses began to act spooked, as if someone was up close to their face, although no one could be seen. The men with Jackson began to get as spooked as the horses and pulled frantically at the reins in a desperate attempt to move them on. An exasperated Jackson eventually declared, By the Eternal, boys, this must be the Bell Witch. At this, the horses all fell quiet and lay down. A small wind whipped up around Jackson's face and then a frail voice was heard. Okay, General, let the wagon move on. I'll see you again tonight. The horses stood and walked forward calmly, and the wagon moved along with ease. After spending the evening drinking with John Bell and his wife, General Jackson returned to the tents that Lucy had allowed his men to set up in a nearby field. Sat around the fire, one of his men was eagerly informing the others how he was from a long line of witch hunters, and, in his breast pocket, he had a silver bullet, and if given the chance, would end this bell witch once and for all. From behind the group, there came the sound of running, so much so the men turned to see what was approaching. However, nothing could be seen. Suddenly, the campfire blew dim, despite there being no breeze, and a deep, heavy cold dropped down on the men. The men looked around at each other, all aware that something was taking place. And then... The woman's voice was heard. Well, shoot me then. All eyes of the group fell upon the alleged witch hunter, who panically rose to his feet, 
In an instant, he was struck from behind and fell forwards towards the fire. Next, he reared up squealing as if someone had pinched him by the nose and was leading him around by it. Once more, he was struck by an unseen blow, and after getting to his feet, he ran screaming from the farm. Everyone was dumbstruck. The voice, then mocking, said, See how the devil did run and beg. Then she said, That's enough for tonight. You may sleep now, General. This encounter with the Bell Witch would stick in the mind of the future president, and he's recorded as saying that he would rather fight the British at New Orleans than face the Bell Witch. From here, the Bell Witch would return its focus to Betsy Bell, who had recently became engaged to a young man by the name of Joshua Gardner. All the families involved in the union considered it to be a good one, and their engagement was celebrated in Red River by all, except one, the Bell Witch. The witch would follow the couple on their dates, kicking dirt where they sat and screaming into Betty's ear any time a declaration of love was about to be made. The witch would out and out torment Betsy at the farmhouse, telling her the only way she would get respite is if she called off the engagement. Now, although Joshua took all of this paranormal activity in his stride, eventually, things took their toll on young Betsy. And, broken down and battered, she finally called off the engagement to Joshua. There is an interesting side note to this part of the tale, one which I'll come back to later. But for now, we remain at Bell Farm, as the Bell Witch decides it's time to settle her oldest score. John Bell's health had been declining for some months, and... Like some evil apex predator, the witch began circling. On the occasions where John found the strength to get himself out of bed, the witch would throw his slippers across the room as he bent to reach them. Laughter would then fill the room as John would sigh defeated back onto the bed, only for the witch to viciously strike him for having the audacity to try and move. She would stop him sleeping by repeatedly calling Old Jack Jack Bell Bell. over and over again. John was broken and he fell into a coma and died just before New Year, December the 20th, 1820. The Bell Witch's prophecy had come true. As the family gathered around the body, John Jr. came upon a strange vial of black liquid which no one could give any information about. On unscrewing the lid, a drop landed on the floor, whereupon the cat ran over and licked it up. The cat leapt into the air and was dead before it landed on the ground. The temperature fell in the room, and the witch's voice exclaimed, I gave old Jack a dose to fix him. (laughs) John Jr. threw the vial into the fireplace, where it exploded into a large blue flame and seemingly sentiently, escaped via the chimney. John Bell was laid to rest with all the pomp and circumstance one would expect from a well-respected man of the town. It was mentioned how it was the largest turnout for a funeral Red River had ever seen. However, the Bell family were suspicious that, perhaps, 
Some were here more out of fascination with the witch than out of respect for John Bell. For those particular people, attending the funeral would pay dividends. As following each eulogy of love and respect that was given, there could be heard cackling <laughs> laughter echoing around the church walls. The graveyard burial itself, a location which one would assume to be too sacrosanct for a witch to endure, was seemingly fertile ground for the vengeful witch, who, as John Bell's body was lowered into the earth, merrily sang songs about the virtues of being drunk on brandy. The witch's work apparently done, she paid one final visit to the Bell Farm, where she addressed John's widow, Lucy, a lady the witch held in the utmost respect. She stated she was leaving, but she would return in 107 years to torment the family's descendants. That year would be 1935, and if the Bell Witch did return to plague the Bell family anew, the family didn't make it public, so we will never know. Before we leave the Bell Witch, you will recall earlier I said there was a side note to the engagement of Betsy Bell and Joshua Gardner. And there is. Prior to her engagement, Betsy had an admirer in the form of her old school teacher, Professor Richard Powell. Professor Powell had set his eyes on Betsy at an inappropriately young age, whilst acting as a teacher. He declared his intention to marry her when she got older. Therefore, the news of Betty's engagement to Gardner hit Professor Powell hard. And although he outwardly wished the couple well, many believe he harboured a deep resentment for the couple. Not only this, but aside from being a man of education, he allegedly had a studious interest in another subject, the occult. He was renowned for studying books covered in arcane symbols muttering in tongues no one could understand and holding some perceived power that you just couldn't place. Was he in some way partly responsible for guiding the witch to take an interest in separating Betsy and Joshua? Well, so some people believe, but I guess we'll never know. But before we go, you may well wonder what happened to old, tormented Betsy. Well... Seeing as the witch left her alone, she was courted by a respected man of the community and left Red River to start a family of her own, along with her new husband and former teacher, Professor Richard Powell. Thank you for once again joining me here on The Dark Paranormal. I look forward to seeing you next week for the season finale. I can't believe it's here already. Don't forget, if you have a true paranormal experience you'd like me to look at for Season 5, send it over to thedarkparanormal at hotmail.com. So until next week, remember, when you discuss the paranormal, always leave your disbelief at the door. And I'll see you next time on The Dark Paranormal.
Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.